right. We're here live same time every Sunday on Fox Sports Radio, 98.9 FM and 1340 AM, flagship of the Vegas Golden Knights. We are coming to you from Spencer's studio in Las Vegas, located basically at the 95 and Jones Boulevard. We will be here until they let us back into the Fox Sports Residential Bank Corp. studio. Joining me on the show is social media director Spencer the Wiz Ostrovsky. Nobody beats the Wiz. Nobody beats the Wiz. Yes, he has his own theme music. Also part of the show and social distancing back in the Fox Sports Residential Bank Corp. studio is producer... Chris Magnum Chapman. Magnum is also the locker room reporter for Vegas Golden Knights Radio uh, Network, and Mags produces a number of other shows at Lotus Broadcasting. I'm sure you're very familiar with them. Hey, the show is also streaming on the LV Sports Network, and you can watch the show on Facebook Live. The page is called Out of Line. That's O-U-T-T-A-L-I-N-E. You can also follow the show on Instagram and Twitter at out of line, Fox LV. And since we are live, your calls and questions are welcome. The Fox Corps Residential Bank Corp studio line is 702-876-1340. Hi, this is Bubby, and it's time for What's on Tap. On Tap brought to you by title sponsor Residential Bank Corp. Whether purchasing a new home or refinancing the home you already own, Residential Bank Corp is the company you turn to for all your home financing needs. Residential Bank Corp funding America one time now offering twenty five hundred dollars free to everyone and anyone who qualifies for a home purchase loan in the state of Nevada. On Tap, well. Game times for the Vegas Golden Knights 2021 season have been announced. The Raiders win their preseason debut at Allegiant Stadium with fans in attendance uh, for the first time ever at a Raiders game. All four of the top rookie QBs made their NFL debuts yesterday. Who is the best? Well, you got to stick and stay to find that out. And another no-hitter in Major League Baseball, plus... After almost a month off, the Las Vegas Aces are in town and back in action today. That's what's on tap. If you are looking to buy a home or to refinance the home you currently own, choose a company you can trust, Residential Bank Corp, funding America one neighborhood at a time. And right now, once again, Residential Bank Corp is offering Nevada home buyers $2,500 towards closing costs for anyone and everyone who qualifies for any home financing program in the state of Nevada, call 702-964-5720 for more details. And before we get into the nightcap, Spencer, uh, real quick, man, how's your week? Uh, it's been good. I'm uh, actually changing to full-time here at the office, and I'm really excited about the opportunity. It's a blessing to be able to uh, express myself creatively that way, and hopefully it turns into something big. Man, look at you. I mean, who would have thought this a year and a half ago, man? Just a, a whirlwind. Graduate UNLV, and next thing you know, you'll be passing all of us up. Got a lot to talk about today. Also, if you could turn on your mic back there, Mags, how the hell have you been, my friend? I've been, I've been pretty, pretty good. good. Yeah, well, We're, well, I'm, well, That's I'm, like I'm a three-word answer, oh, man. Well, I'm I'm hearing an echo. How's that? You all right? Is, is that better? Can you hear me better now? No. Okay. I'm hearing a bad echo. echo so. so, 
Oh, I got you. That's what it is. Because I could just tell you seemed a little off kilter. Well, no, try no, to get no, rid no, of that echo. Good. I want to tie. I got got to get your opinion on nightcap here in a minute. But it has been a wild week, man. Went to the chiropractor for the first time in my life yesterday. It's like I don't know if it was COVID after effect or what, but a couple days ago, I've never had a more stiff neck. And lower back problems, just weird as hell. I hate getting anything cracked whatsoever, man. I can't even crack my knuckles. It weirded me out. My kids have always been able to crack everything. My ex-wife, they were all crackers, man, not me. Uh, but um, I went yesterday, and I got to admit, I do feel a little bit better. It was getting kind of a, a debilitating, so I decided, let me go do something about it. So I'm feeling good, man. No headache, a little bit of stiffness still, but they say you got to go about three times. So kind of uh, kind of happy that I'm, I'm, I'm back in action. And for those of you who are wondering if you are watching on Facebook Live or, uh, or on, on Instagram or any of the other sites that Spencer has us on YouTube, you'll see that I'm wearing an old-school uh, man, this thing looks ragged, but it's really not. This is the way it was designed. It's an old English D, and it's because uh, we'll talk about it in a little bit, bit, man. But a guy who's been with the Tigers for a long time is getting ready to reach some really, really cool milestones. He's probably going to have to stick around one more season to do them all, but playing well, and who knows. And uh, Plus, the Tigers, man, in second place in their division after being literally having the worst record in all of baseball a year ago. It's nice to see him pr- improving. There's still a couple games under 500. There's still 11 games behind the Chicago White Sox for the division lead, but they're in second place, and at least Detroit fans have something to hold their head up for because I don't think the Lions are going to be one of those things when the season rolls on, but that's a story for another time and another day. Uh, Spencer, go ahead. Let's get to nightcap, man. Hockey players, as you know, are warriors. They don't give up. They come to play every game. It's time for Nightcap, a cup full of the Vegas Golden Knights. From highlights to interviews to special events, the puck starts here. Well, we're in the off league this year uh, saw a pretty exciting season even though there was a pandemic um, unique scheduling with uh, almost every team playing like two or three home games against the same squad it was it was an interesting season but they got through it um, and changes in the offseason just like I expected um, they did announce yesterday all the game times, or I should say Friday, they announced all the game times of the Vegas Golden Knights. They'll open their season Tuesday, October 12th uh, at 7 o'clock. Very fitting. They'll be playing the NHL's newest franchise, the Seattle Kraken. And uh, we've been waiting for them to get come in town for, or I should say, uh, come around for a little bit. And Seattle, we all knew, was the next team buying to get a hockey team. They did. And it should be interesting, but it's kind of cool. The The two most recent expansion teams will, will face off at the beginning of the season. I like it and before i ask mags about uh, uh some of the trades which i've been dying to get his opinion on i mean doug douglas has been great uh filling in the last couple of weeks always love doug doing the show and again with doug being the uh press box announcer for the vegas golden knights he sees every home game so he's at pro and of course uh chris uh has been with us um for several years with lotus broadcasting and the producer my show man at least since i think 2015 yeah, or so but um my, uh... but but it's by the, By the way, way Spencer, Spencer, I'm still, still hearing, hearing the echo. echo. But, but this, this is my fifth season going into covering the Golden Knights. Knights. I mean, since, since day, day one. one. 
you got to go on, you got to travel with them in their first season. Uh, I know you went to Winnipeg for the uh, conference finals, which was really cool in season one and uh, really got a lot of great, uh, got, got to know a lot of the players and realized, you know, I think what I've known for a long time is that, you know, NHL players out of the four major sports in this country, NFL, NHL players are probably the easiest to interview and the most humble of all the professional athletes. Uh, maybe they make the least amount, but nowadays every good player and every major sports a millionaire so they could easily have gigantic egos some of them of course do but i've always found hockey players to be my favorite players to interview they give you the interview they talk to you they're usually nice guys and that's probably because most of them aren't american you know so i mean that would go to say but uh but you know um real quick before i get into that chris i i, I wanted to talk to you about you know some of the moves because i saw them coming i kind of had a minor argument with Mike McKenna here about them and yet two of the three players I saw exiting are both gone and we'll talk about that in a minute so we've kind of beat that story to a dead horse but I want to hear uh I want to hear your your take on it but the Olympic break is a reminder no final agreement or decision has been made to this point regarding the possible participation of the National Hockey League players in the 2022 Beijing Winter Olympics which is this coming winter uh, per the collective bargaining agreement uh, the league is supposed to pause from February 7th to the 22nd um, to accommodate NHL player participation in the Olympic Games. Uh, the participation, um, uh, you know, should COVID conditions worsen? That's the biggest issue, obviously, otherwise or otherwise pose a threat to the healthy and safe, health and safety of the NHL players or any other reason that may warrant such decision. In the event NHL players participate in the 2022 Winter Olympics, the NHL regular season will resume on Wednesday, February 23rd, if for whatever reason, reason there is no NHL player participation in the Olympics a revised regular season schedule will be released but um you know and I've gotten all these questions like it's so unfair how come the NBA or well the NBA has all their players but they don't play in the regular season the NBA well how come major league baseball players didn't take a break because only a couple of countries would really benefit from the major league uh, players taking a break. And the majority of the team that would benefit would be the United States in the national hockey leagues. I just mentioned, there are so many foreign players from all over the world that play in that league. A lot of them want to go and have pride and participate in the Olympics for their country. And I think of all four major sports, it makes most sense for the NHL to take a break. I mean, the WNBA took a break, but the reason for that is more, not so much for, foreign player participation on their particular teams it's for the notoriety of women's basketball an olympic gold medal for a particular team i just think it bodes well for women's basketball in general especially in this country as the wnba really gained traction the last few years with uh you know the endorsement of kobe bryant who was such a great ambassador for the wnba i don't know that anyone will be able to replace him but that's why the wnba takes a break is because really it's good for the sport major league baseball it would not be be good for the sport for them to take a month off they already had a sh really shortened 60 game season last year with all that's going on i get it but the national hockey league people it makes sense again because you have so many foreign players their national teams would be nothing and it would be almost a joke some of them without some of the nhl players coming back and playing for them um so that's really the reason don't need to get much more into that i think there will be a stoppage of play i think the nhl will participate in the olympics so i think 
and it's all part of the collective bargaining agreement. Again, it makes sense. Chris, real quick before we leave Nightcap, I wanted to get your take. You know, I not not just on Flurry and Ryan Reeves departing. I said to McKenna, I thought three players that were hugely popular in Las Vegas would not be Vegas Golden Knights last year. I'm very happy that to this point I was wrong about one of them, and that was Jonathan Marchand. So I thought, based on the way he played late in the season, and especially in the first couple rounds of the playoffs, um, that Jonathan had as much trade value now as he was ever going to have, especially where he's at in his career. He's in the prime of his career, getting up into the the 30-year range. Um, So I thought it made sense, but I'm really happy they didn't get rid of him because what's really cool is they'll be going into their fifth season, as you will, with the Vegas Golden Knights. But with that line still intact of Marcheseau Smith and, of course, William Carlson, and I love it, and I'm glad that DeBoer has decided to keep those three guys. I thought for sure Smith and Carlson would be here. I just thought Marcheseau might, might get released. But I'm no surprise whatsoever in Marc-Andre Fleury to me and no surprise in Ryan Reeves as we saw his playing time diminish as they got later into the playoffs. He wasn't hurt. Uh, I think DeBoer felt that with the, the emergence of Keegan Colasar, also the physical presence of William Carrier with both those guys having the ability not to only play physical but also having the ability to put the puck in the net. They make them more valuable than Reeves, who when Reeves scores a goal, it's a national holiday. But what I will say is uh, Reeves was a tremendously popular player. I laugh because at the beginning in his first couple games, he was getting booed by Vegas Golden Knights fans who were getting acclimated to hockey and not realizing how big his physical presence would be to this team, which it has been over the past few seasons. He's been great. He's been one of the spokesmen great in the community. Um, he's going to be sorely missed, although he'll get another, another fresh start. Um, and I, and I think he'll do, I think he'll do well. Um, Mark Andre Fleury, Chris, and this is the guy I want to talk to you about. I said last week to Doug Douglas, and I'll say to you right now, the one thing I think this move does for Mark Andre Fleury more than anything else is it got the Vegas community right behind him in a big way and let everyone kind of forget about the flub, the gaff in game three that I don't care what anyone says. It was monumental and it was potentially legacy damaging. That's how bad of a goal that was, which really turned the series around. There's no question Vegas Golden Knights didn't show up. I've heard all the arguments, hey, it was their offense, Mark Stone, Pacioretty, you know, uh, Petrangelo, for God's sakes, led the team in goals. Well, it's okay. Last year, last year, a defenseman led the team in scoring in Shea Theodore in the postseason, too. That can happen. But what can't happen is a seasoned Hall of Fame, one of the greatest goaltenders of all time, cannot nonchalant a puck even for one second. He lost his concentration because it was an easy thing for one split second, and it changed the course of that game and I think changed the dynamic of the series. I love Mark andre Fleury. To me, his leg he's not going to be damaged. He's one of the greatest of all time, but I think to a lot of people in NHL fans, it's like, oh my God. To Vegas fans, Chris, I think the reprieve is with Flurry going away, it lets everyone complain about that, get sad, get upset, and they kind of slide the the gaff into the background, which I think benefits Mark andre Fleury tremendously. Well, what, what they've, they've really, really done, done is they've, they've divided, divided the fan base because you have a, a section of Golden Knight fans who are angry and are not thrilled with the way things went down. You know, you know there's, there's still the unconfirmed rumor that Flurry found out on Twitter. He said, he said he doesn't have social media, so that kind of would, would, would put that to, 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 to rest. But um, nonetheless, Brian, I, I, I think you, you may be onto something, something you're right, because nobody's really talking about that gaff now. Right? Right? Nobody's, nobody's talking about the mistake. And... and, and where, Where I, I disagree, disagree with you is I don't feel, feel like it, it, it 
cost them the series. I don't think, think that, that it was legacy damaging. damaging. Look, it, it was a mistake, but the reality is Golden Knights on paper were a lot better than the Montreal Canadiens. That mistake should not have mattered in the least. They still lost that game in overtime. That's on the team. That's not on Marc-Andre Fleury. But um, you, know, you know the, the other trade you talked about, Ryan Reeves, Reeves I, don't I don't think anyone, anyone was caught off guard by that. that. Maybe the fans, but I think those of us who are close to the team kind of had a feel that that, that was coming. I mean, I, mean, I was, was surprised when they re-signed him last year. Obviously, it worked out a little bit, but you know, he, his, his playing, playing time diminished. Uh, like, like you said, the emergence of William Carrier certainly added a little bit something more to that, to that team. team. Keegan Colasar is a guy who I think can fill that Ryan Reeves role. And he's, and he's got, got a little more offensive upside. He's younger. He's cheaper. It, it made sense from a financial standpoint. And, and look, he gets, gets to go, go back and play, and play with, with, with Gerard Gallant, who's, who's now the coach of the New York Rangers. Obviously, the Rangers made that move because of Tom Wilson ragdolling basically their entire team when... Um, there, there, there was, was a play involving um, Artemi Panarin. Panarin. So that's, that's a move the Rangers, Rangers made because Tom Wilson lives rent-free in the head of, of the New York Rangers management. Remember, they, they completely cleaned out their front office after that. that. They, they made, made all sorts of moves. moves. They've, they've gone, gone out and they've added a couple of, of, of beefy players. So that's, that's a move from, from, from the standpoint that the Rangers made, made a lot of sense. Where I will say... I like, I like Robin, Robin Leonard. Leonard. I think, I think Robin, Robin Leonard's a really good goalie, goalie and, and I think a lot of fans are, are rallying behind Robin Leonard. Leonard. I, I, I see a lot of his tweets on social media, and I see the way that the fan base reacts and interacts with him, and he reacts and interacts back with them, and I think that's great, because I feel like that's kind of what the purpose of Twitter is, right? For the fans to have an outlet to their favorite players and their favorite players to be able to speak their mind to their fans. Maybe they don't always get to do that through people like you and me in the media. So I think from that aspect, I think the Golden Knights will be fine. I'm not sure about the addition of Yevgeny Dadanoff. He, he had, had an off-season off last year in Ottawa, and, and maybe there were some circumstances. His, his family was unable to travel to be with, with him in, in Ottawa. So he came off a couple of really good seasons in, 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 in Florida. He goes to Ottawa, where I feel like a lot of times careers go to die. And he, he had, had a bad season. season. But the Golden, Golden Knights were able to bring him in. And look, it shouldn't be lost in all of this that the team will not have Alex Tuck. For, for at least maybe, maybe half, half the season. season. You, know, you know, he's he's, he's expected, expected to come back right, right around that Olympic break. break. So, so they're, they're going to need to find some punch on that, that third, third line. line. I'm not sure if Pete DeBoer is going to shuffle the lines and break, break apart the misfit, misfit line. But, but I kind of feel like Dodonoff on the right with, with Marcia so and Carlson could be a, a pretty, pretty good line, and it will allow Dadanoff to, to really excel because he'll have another wing on the other side that is shoot first, and William Carlson is, of course, going to be there to bail them out defensively. So I'm not, I'm not sure what the, what the plan is with Dadanoff. Maybe he slots in on the third line. I don't know. The X factor in all this is going to be Nolan Patrick. Are we going to get the Nolan Patrick that had 30 points as a rookie? Or are they, they going to get the Nolan Patrick, who had, had nine points last season? My, My cousin's a Flyer fan. fan. He, he was, was thrilled that they were able to move Nolan Patrick. Patrick. 
Maybe, Maybe this will be a little, little bit of motivation for Nolan Patrick coming playing with the general manager that he's very familiar with. He's comfortable with Kelly McCrimmon. So, so maybe, maybe that changes the trajectory of Nolan Patrick's, Patrick's career, but this is a guy who was a number two overall pick. Obviously, there's a tremendous upside there. The question is, can the team get him to live up to those expectations that had him as the number two overall pick the same year the Golden Knights became a franchise? So I think he's the X factor in all of it. Um, real quick. I don't, I don't think the NHL players will be in, in Beijing because I don't believe there will be a Beijing Olympics. I think they will be either postponed or canceled. Tokyo was a disaster for the Olympics. They, they, they took a lot of heat, especially in Japan. They're taking a lot of heat. The government of Japan is catching a lot of criticism. I don't think the Olympics will take place because the Delta variant is running rampant. Chinese vaccines are not proving to be very effective against the Delta variant. They're going back into lockdowns in China. And for China, it's a lot different than it was for Japan. I know people who were in Beijing, and it was a showcase. They wanted to showcase Beijing to the world and say, hey, look, we're, we're just, just as modern, modern. We're, we're just, just as cool as the West. Japan, Japan people already knew that. that. It, it wasn't necessarily a showcase for Japan, Japan as it was NBC needing to fill something during the summer months when, when they're, they're waiting, waiting for Sunday Night Football, football to, to get started. started. So, so I don't believe we will see a 2022 Beijing Olympics. Olympics. We, we may see them next year, but, but I don't think they happen I do, I do think, think NHL, NHL players will be in the next Winter, Winter Olympics. Olympics. I, just I just don't think, think it's, it's going to be in February. February. It'll be interesting to see. It's a really good point that you make. Um, but I, being that February is that far away, and I know they want them desperately, but you are right. Uh, you know, they're not going to have the debacle of Tokyo. I enjoyed the Tokyo Olympics, but it was really weird. We were especially to seeing, I was supposed to be. Yeah, I know. I know you were. And it was, it was really weird for me, especially like in sports soccer that, that when the stadiums are packed and to be able to hear the players talk to each other as as unique as that is and 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 as as cool and as a learning experience it is for us as fans it's it just takes so much away from the game to not have that well, electricity in there and, the and not is, have fans in the stadium we, we even saw it yesterday at allegiant stadium with the raiders which is a good segue into that uh you know that that it's just such a different element even in a preseason game when a stadium is packed i wasn't there but i watched it on television uh in, incredibly interesting seeing fans back in the stadium we got used to it a little bit last year without them there and i thought it was very cool and and, you know, going into that, you know, Spence, Chris, the, the Raiders game yesterday, uh, you know, the debut of the Raiders, um, Spencer did mention, you know, all the starters on defense played. He's concerned about that being a Raiders fan, as I would be as well, because it's like, what are you doing, you know, risking injury with your starting unit when you really just don't have much depth on the defensive side of the fall we've seen that last year you know a horrible secondary last year not a really good uh you know good linebacking core 
maybe an up, you know, decent up front defensively, but that was it. And um, yet, I like I told Spencer, I believe Gruden has to do this. You've got to see what you have and find the pieces to put in place and make sure you've got the right guys in the right spots. And the only way you can do that is game reps. So I, I wasn't that surprised that he played these guys. But I do think early on when everyone's getting their game legs underneath him, you are taking a big risk. Obviously, he didn't care the risk about his third-string quarterback, Nathan Peterman, who other than one horrible pass, I thought played so much better than I expected him. The last time I saw that guy in uh, San Diego play football, oh, my God. I mean, he was – I didn't think he was a D2 college player. But Nathan Peterman obviously has worked very, very hard. Uh, 29-39 for 246 yards, no touchdowns, that one interception. But he did seem to make good decisions, did tuck the ball down when he had to, use his feet when he had to, and definitely a different player than the last time I've seen the guy play. I think he cemented himself as the third-string quarterback for the Raiders. Uh, that guy Cook is who they just picked up. He was just somebody to have in case Peterman went down yesterday because there was nobody behind him with both uh, Carr and um, Mariota out of the lineup. But I thought it was a good opener for the Raiders. And I do think, Spencer, you are going to see a improved defense for the Raiders. Not dramatically improved. I mean, you know, Rome wasn't built in a day. But, you know, guys like Casey Hayward Jr. I think are huge additions, especially that secondary, because he's a guy that's been in the league 10 years. He gets reunited, you know, with Gus Bradley. The two of them were together for five years in San Diego. The guys made two Pro Bowls. And whenever you're a Pro Bowl guy that's been in the league, you know, a decade or more, you are going to be respected, especially by young players. And if you look at the Raiders last year, Spencer, their secondary with our Net and Mullen Jr. and of course Jonathan Abram, who you don't like. You know, between the three of those guys, they average under 23 years old. It's like 22.67 years. That is so inexperienced. The last time a team did any kind of damage with that young of a secondary, you got to go all the way back to the San Francisco 49ers when they won their very first Super Bowl. They had a secondary, which most people don't realize how bizarre this is and how great Joe Montana is adding to his legacy because nobody other than a, a Montana fan or a, not a Montana fan, but a 49er fan could probably tell you any of the running backs that played for that very first San Francisco team. I guarantee Wendell Tyler was not on that team, so don't think he was one of them. A lot of people come at me with Wendell Tyler. He was part of the second one. And then, of course, Roger Craig came later. The bottom line is the starting running backs of that team were Linville Elliott and Bill Ring. You ever heard of them? Earl Cooper, who eventually became a tight end, was their fullback. Nobody. And Montana did it with nobody. Dwight Clark, he wasn't that famous till he made the catch. And Freddie Solomon on the other side, people probably didn't even know he was the number one receiver on that team. Pretty bizarre. I mean, Russ Francis was a big-name tight end getting up in his career. But no skill players. And defensively, they were pretty strong. But their secondary which was amazing, which, which, which was leading me to say this based on the Raiders secondary. You had Ronnie Lott, who was a rookie on one corner. You had Eric Wright, who was a rookie at the other corner. You're starting free safety. Well, he was another rookie named Carlton Williamson out of Pittsburgh. And then you had one defensive guy that molded this team together that was probably the least famous out of all of them, but he had been there for eight years out of the University of Michigan. His name was Dwight Hicks. He was the strong safety, and he really molded that unit of all rookies, and even their fifth defensive back, if you look back to that team, was, his name was Lynn Thomas. He was also a rookie, a teammate of Carl Williamson's at Pittsburgh. So out of their, when they put in their nickel package, five, four of the five were rookies, and they won a Super Bowl. That just doesn't happen, but then again, look at the future that team, Ronnie Lott, arguably the best cornerback that ever lived, and eventually a free safety. They were really good, but this Raiders team 
is the one thing I like about the Raiders team. They're not the fastest defensively in the secondary, but Arnett and Jonathan Abram are hitters. They're guys that bring the wood. Abram sometimes to a fault because he gets out of position trying to make hits, but that's where Casey Hayward's going to come in, especially with a guy like Damon Arnett, who I think has a huge upside, played great in college at Ohio State, and was hurt last year. Now he's healthy, and with the with the tutelage of Casey Hayward, I see Damon Arnett getting a lot better and having a couple of corners cornerbacks that can actually get the job done and maybe even cover one-on-one. And I'll tell you, based on the interior of that Raiders defense still, boy, you're going to need the, the over the top because they're going to have to load the box with eight men and count on those four secondary members to get the job done. It's going to be a tall order. But I liked what I saw overall from the Raiders. I like the offense. I, I think Darren Waller, it's not going on a stretch. He's already a top five receiver. I think he'll even take another step this year if he gets healthy. And I liked what I saw for the initial the initial game, the initial coming out party of the Raiders. And one other guy I'll talk about, Spencer, and then you can take the floor on this one because, I mean, they're your team. But how about um, how about Javen White? I mean, led the team in tackles, five tackles, one assist, five solos, one assist. Really impressive. And late in the game, I mean, the, the last minute of the game, he was flying. He wanted to make sure he was noticed and make sure he's on the regular team roster. If he is, it'll be as a special team player this year. But I think he's going to be noticed when Gruden looks back at the film, especially the last minute. He made three of the last four tackles. And the only reason he probably didn't make the last one is because he got a stinger and got pulled out of the game. And immediately he stands up, he's shaking his arms, telling him, get away from me. I'm fine. It was a stinger. And if you looked at Javen White, which I was checking him out on the field, he is definitely bulked up. He was like a string bean at UNLV. His arms now look good. He's still a little bit skinny in the lower half of his body, but he has definitely beefed up the upper half of his body and looks like an NFL linebacker. He's got the height, and I'm kind of excited for him, Spencer. I think he's actually going to make the active 53-man roster this year. I think he will, too, actually. As a special teams guy, if he's going to be flying around like that, and at the end of the day, it is a preseason game, so you can't take too much away from it. I liked what I saw from Nathan Peterman. I mean, it's, it's about as good as you get can get from a third-string quarterback. He might be the best third-string quarterback in the NFL, whatever that's worth. Uh, that runner, uh, I think his name was Vargas. or uh, yeah. He played a really great game. Yes, he did. And the announcers were, like, going crazy over him. But, no, he did play pretty serviceable, and he may have to replace Jalen Richard at the beginning of the season who's dealing with that injury. Keelan Doss also had a pretty decent game. He seems to be more of like a preseason magic kind of guy. So we'll see if he can actually translate that, you know, to the regular season. I remember him last year, he had like one catch and he fumbled it at the goal line. So he didn't have a great, um, you know, first NFL season as an undrafted rookie. But it looks like he's getting better. It looks like he's dedicated to the team. Other than that, I don't know. I mean, uh, I didn't I didn't like seeing all the starters out there. I know you want to see what you got, but no one else in the NFL is doing that, that to the rate that they had. And to see guys like Cleveland Farrell out there dominating like third string offensive linemen, it's just kind of disheartening. Uh, I, I agree with you that their defense is getting better this season, but it's such a low bar to clear. They're still going to be probably 20th to you know whatever the last in the league is uh, just because they have no pass rush. So Yannick and Dockway, you know, maybe he's going to get a lot better. And uh, I believe they also signed a defensive tackle recently, but he's pretty old. So we'll see if they McCoy can is been, McCoy, he's right. been around for a while. A he's been hurt. He was hurt last year, but I'll tell you, he's another one of those veteran type of leaders, Spencer, that can help mold a defensive unit. He is a vocal leader. And, and it, the one thing about Gerald McCoy throughout his career, what he's been praised for is being the ultimate team player, a guy that motivates guys around him. You can never go wrong when you have that type of guy. The key is, 
the leg injuries, he's got to get on the field because as much of a leader as you are, if you're on the sideline like years ago, ML Carr was at the end of his career for the Boston Celtics waving a towel. A towel doesn't motivate your team. What motivates your team is you being in there sweating and bleeding with the crew going to battle. And McCoy is going to have to get healthy and be able to be on the field this year and play if he can. Him and Hayward, those are two leaders that they really need on the defensive side of the football. And I like what I'm seeing there. Yeah, I just this is just my last point. So the best case scenario for those two, for the Raiders, is that they turn out to be something similar to what Richard Seymour and Justin Houston were, I believe, back in like 2010, back in the day when they had a pretty decent defensive line. I just won't believe it until I see it. This is to me, this is still a seven-win football team, but yeah, maybe they'll win eight. Uh, well, we we sh- we shall definitely see, and uh, and uh, you know some interesting stuff here when we speak about football with UNLV, which we're going to talk about. I didn't put it on the log, but I'm going to sneak it in for a second in a minute. What I do want to talk about, you know, the Raiders win the game. Uh, they play again next week. They're on the road. They get to play the Los Angeles Rams, and that is going to be a telltale sign. I think Mariota will be back next week, and that's some good work for him because the, the 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 Rams, who have beefed up on both sides of the ball, are definitely going to be a contender in the NFC this year, and. And, um, you know, best defensive player in the game, maybe the best football player in the world right now in Aaron Donald. I mean, that guy never, ever sees a snap where he is not double teamed at this point in his career. And, of course, they picked up Matthew Stafford for the Lions to to boost their offense. And I think that's going to be a really good second preseason game test for the Raiders next week, plus on the road to see how they do. You know, you can't base very much on the preseason, but I think the Raiders are really looking at this preseason to make themselves get better against Spencer. That's why I think you saw so many starters play into the second quarter defensively, which does get scary. And it's a huge risk factor. But again, when your defense is that bad the year before, man, those guys got to suffer up front. Let's make them good. Let's get them better. You don't want to play that much in the preseason well damn it be better and that's what I think Gruden is saying to this squad but uh, a big a big year for the Raiders as far as you know that that we need to see an improvement from this year than the past couple years a a, um, an eight and eight season or eight and nine season whatever it is now with the extra game getting added is not going to be is not going to suffice for the Raiders or for owner Mark Davis and I'm telling you is is John Gruden on the hot seat? Absolutely not. Don't even put that in your head right now. But will he be next year if this team lays an egg? Yes, he will be at this time next year if the team lays an egg this year and, say, wins five or six games. That will be completely unacceptable. Obviously, unless something like Derek Carr went down again, then maybe there'd be a little bit of a built-in excuse. I know you're shaking your head that he might, but, but we'll see. Real quickly, the other thing I want to talk about the NFL before I jump to UNLV is that, you know, the NFL, something kind of special yesterday. You know, we've never had that many quarterbacks taken with the first 15, 16 picks in the NFL draft in history, and they were the four top guys all made their debuts yesterday. Pretty interesting, starting with the number one player picked in the draft, the most anticipated quarterback coming out of college in I don't know how many years. Trevor Lawrence, since he was a freshman at Clemson, has been making history, and uh, you got Trevor Lawrence uh, at Jacksonville. The, the team didn't fare very well, but in the two possessions he played, he was sacked twice, got sack right off the get-go one of them I thought he took too much time on but he's a rookie he went six of nine for 71 yards and doesn't it figure it seems right off the get-go his favorite receiver Spencer I don't know if you saw it yesterday three catches for 52 yards a 17 yard average Marvin Jones Jr. the ex-Detroit Lion go ahead let me hear that back to throw on third down and 10 Lawrence with time all kinds of time great protection turns and slings the ball and he's got Marvin Jones who makes a dramatic catch over a bend defender's back 
Yeah, Spencer's laughing because he sees my pain. It's like last year, the Detroit Lions, you look at the Lions this year, okay? They get rid of Stafford, you know, but it, it was after after they, they let Kenny Galladay already go. But last year, you've got Kenny Galladay and Marvin Jones Jr. I'll bet no worse than the top five NFL, NFL receiver duos in the league. They dished them both. Of course, Marvin Jones Jr. now catching passes from Trevor Lawrence Jr. And you've got Kenny Galladay in New York playing for the Giants. How beautiful is that? And Detroit uses, what, their second or third pick to get a wide receiver. They have nobody. Like I said, what they do have is Detroit has one of the better offensive lines in football. The question is, who the hell are they blocking for? I don't know. I know Jared Goss happy about it. The rest of us, we're, we're all scratching our heads. But uh, Marvin Jones Jr., uh, Trevor Lawrence is raving about the guy. He was he really, really solidified himself. He was great in Cincinnati. He stepped up even another notch when he got to the Detroit Lions. And now, of course, he's a Jacksonville Jaguar, probably on his way to the playoffs this year. But um, Trevor Lawrence's performance, I am going to give in his first game. I'll give it a B rating. And most people say, wow, that's really high. It was his first first game and everyone in the world is watching him the expectations are through the roof so for him to come out and perform that way didn't toss a pick took a couple of big hits I like a lot they lost to Cleveland 23-13 but that's not indicative of what you're going to get out of Trevor Lawrence as the season goes on Jacksonville will be a much improved team mostly because of Trevor Lawrence I think their defense will play a little better too but this is a team on the upswing and depending on the moves they make and to have a coach like Urban Meyer who has just done whatever one wherever he's gone in college I think he will be make be able to make the transition to the National Football League and I think Jacksonville is going to be a fun team to watch in the future. The number two guy Zach Wilson, uh, people argue that he had the best debut even though his numbers might not have been the best but the Jets beat the Giants and, and Mags I'll let you jump in on this one because the Jets are your squad. A lot of people felt they gave up on Sam Donald way too quick and that this kid will end up being a good football player in the National League, Football League but the Jets were just a enamored with Zach Wilson. He really came on his senior year at BYU. He shows he can throw the football all over the field. He can make all four throws necessary. He also seems to know when to run the ball, but 13 and 19 for 127 yards, no touchdowns, no interception. And a lot of people, I heard some experts saying that they thought out of the four of them, his debut was the best, even though Justin Fields had a hell of a second half in uh, for the Bears. And, uh, and Trey Lance, who, who took a little bit of a beating in San Francisco, I thought played well, but I'm not going to argue you. Zach Wilson, um, I'm going to say for first preseason game, which is very little to take to, to bank on, but I'm going to say he exceeded my expectations off the get-go. Chris, are you happy with uh, with uh, with Zach Wilson being the, the being behind center in New York? Well, I mean, yes and no. I think they did give up on Darnold too soon. The reality is Adam Gase is probably the worst coach in the history of, of the NFL. So... I mean, the reality is Darnold may go the Ryan Tannehill route and escape the clutches of Adam Jones and his anemic offensive mind. If, if Let's put it this way. Adam Gase is so bad at, at coaching that Ryan Tannehill went from being one of the worst coach or quarterbacks in the NFL in Miami. Now he's a top 10 quarterback in Tennessee. His, his passer rating is ridiculous now. If the same thing happens with Sam Darnold, I don't know how Adam Gase can ever look at himself in the mirror because he, he's a disgrace. And the reality is that if Zach Wilson doesn't live up to expectations and Sam Darnold goes to Carolina under, by the way, 
By the way, just just want to point this out. The New York Jets had an opportunity to hire Matt Rule, who is the coach in Carolina, and people are raving about this guy and the fact that Carolina could be a dark horse in that division. The Jets turned him down to hire Adam Gaze because they didn't want Adam Rule to bring in his own uh, coordinators. The Jets wanted to have a say in that. This could blow up in the face of the New York Jets. In fact, as a guy who supported this team for 35 years, I expect it to blow up in the face of the New York Jets. They're just as they're they are the lions of the AFC. Almost the only difference is they've got a Super Bowl and a couple of other AFC champs. Yeah, 50 years ago. Yeah, but they've probably won in the Super Bowl. I, I, we can't get into the lines. You know me, Chris. I'll, don't get me going on that. But the bottom line is, I'll bet if you look, the Jets have won about 9 to 10 playoff games in the Super Bowl era. Again, I'll say it over and over again. The Lions have won one and never sniffed the Super Bowl. It's it's repulsive. But uh, that's that's a story for another day. Me and uh, Spencer are working on something special for the Detroit Lions that we'll have out in a couple of months, and hopefully everyone will check it out and get to feel my pain and every Detroit, Detroit Lions fans out there pain. But um, I like Zach Wilson, I, I agree with you. I think Sam Donald, you can't go all in on a quarterback a couple of years ago and make a change. There's so many more problems in New York for the Jets than the quarterback position, and that's worth going to blame on, but that makes it the easiest. And uh, the case is going to have to do something with Zach Wilson and turn it around. I don't think he can either. I don't like the guy. Worst coach in NFL history, I don't know, man. Marty Morningwig, uh, Marinelli, I mean, 0-16. We've had some pretty doozies. Even our last one, Matt Patricia. I'll leave it right there. But also, uh, Trey Lance made his debut, the quarterback out of North Dakota State, highly touted, a guy that Kyle Shanahan just loves in San Francisco. And yesterday, he went 5 of 14, 128 yards, one touchdown. He was sacked four times. He played 29 plays in eight series. Uh, he threw an 80-yard touchdown pass to Trent uh, Sherfield, which covered almost 50 yards in the air. Um, and just by the way, so you know, that was on a second drive of the game. Just so you know, Jimmy Garoppolo had one pass with an air distance of 40 yards or more all of last season. Trevor Lawrence, excuse me, Trevor Lawrence. How about uh, Trey Lance does it in his second series in the preseason? Um, so so pretty, pretty, pretty amazing. Uh, go ahead. You want to play that, Spencer? This, this was Trey Lance on his second drive. Right wing next to McGlinchey. They're going to boot the quarterback left. Here he goes. Deep downfield. Trencher field got it. Trey Area. Great call on the game and great play by Trey Lance to spot that and be able to make the throw almost 50 yards in the air. The kid's got a hell of an arm, and he was on the run. Really, really good and impressive. I like what I saw to him. And, of course, Justin Fields, who uh, um, you guys are going to laugh at this, and I hope I don't get, get in trouble. But the bottom line is for his name from now on is Marge Simpson. When I see the guy without a helmet on, he looks like Marge Simpson. I'm sorry he does. So Marge Simpson played really, really well uh, yesterday. Other than he started really bad, he was two for six, 10 yards, two rushes, zero points on his first three drives. But he got way better as the game went on. He ended up 14 of 20, 142 yards, one touchdown uh, in the air. And he also ran for a touchdown that looked really good. Um, and from what I saw, my prediction is because the Bears were very adamant that he will be playing behind the red pea shooter. Don't call him the red rifle anymore. Please don't call him that. The red pea shooter will start for the uh, will start for the Chicago Bears. I say. At the latest by game four, Justin Fields will be the starting quarterback for the Chicago Bears. And everyone in Detroit will be saying, why, why did we pass on him?
okay, that's what they'll be saying because, yeah, we've got a great offensive tackle. I think a guy that that is so good that he reminds me of some of the great ones like Anthony Munoz, who's a, one of the best ever at Cincinnati, reminds me of the guy. But you've got to have somebody to block for before you, dra- you draft an offensive line, and we don't, or they don't. I'm not going to say we anymore. Uh, that's enough about that. I really want to quickly talk about UNLV because we are low on time, and I want to get the fact this. All I want to say about UNLV, guys, is hallelujah. And boy, what is Missouri thinking? And if you don't know what I'm talking about, you are t- I'm talking about the departure of Desiree Re Francois. I said when Tina Crimson Murphy was here and when they hired De- Desiree Francois, UNLV will never see a worse athletic director than Tina Kunzer Murphy. Tina, I sincerely apologize for that statement. Desiree Reed Francois, the worst in the history of UNLV. I mean, other than the fact that she wore some pretty fly Nike shoes once in a while, and she, I think her hiring of Kevin Kruger on the way out, knowing his father is going to be able to consult, was the only two things she ever did good at UNLV. And uh, the sneakers, she one of the games she was wearing these awesome Nike sneakers. My son recognized. Jake goes, Dad, those are real expensive and really fly. So she wears fly sneakers, and she hired a decent coach on the way out. Everything else she did was complete garbage. She she was very difficult to get interviewed on. She she skirted every question you ever answered. She was good at skirting questions. I'll give her that. That's a good AD. Eric Harper, who's a bit, been the associate athletic director, been around for a while. He was elevated to interim, interim athletic director. He will be throughout this football season and probably for the next six or seven months, but they will get somebody else in, and hopefully they'll go on a good hunt. I don't want to get into it. Uh, my friend Brian Shapiro made a comment that he thought Dwayne Knight, the longtime golf coach, would make a good AD. He knows this school. He knows the area. I thought that was an interesting thought. I hadn't even thought of that one. Obviously, everyone would love to, uh, you know, to see uh, Kevin Kruger's father, Lon, be the athletic director at, at UNLV. God, would that be incredible? He has no interest in that job. He has an interest in just being a consultant for his son. I'm sure he'll do a great job of that. But that's a read, read, Francois. Say la vie. See you later. Good riddance. Goodbye. Don't let the door hit you in the ass on the way out and every other superlative I can think of. She's gone, and I don't know what the University of Missouri is thinking. They will become one of the worst D1 programs in the Power Five conferences, in my opinion, with her being the athletic director, unless she stays completely the hell out of the way. I have no idea how she got that job. Politics, I can think of a few other things. I'm not going to say them on the radio, but I'm blown away Missouri would make a decision like that. What are they basing it on? The fact that that um, Iowa State hired T.J. Otzelfarder? Is that, what they're, is that what they're basing it on? Because they're saying, wow, he did a horrible job here. Kevin Kruger's the only guy I would ever say that was elevated from a losing team to head coach that maybe was a good move because at the beginning it's like, wow, this has to have something to do with Lon. But I really like Kevin Kruger. I thought he was very succinct and elegant in the way he answered all the questions because I definitely hit him hard when he was on the show. And I thought he did a phenomenal job you know, answering the, the, the questions as to why he thought he was elevated. How much does he think his father played a role in that decision? I thought he couldn't have answered him any better and they were hard hit questions. So I'm going to leave it right there again. See you later. Goodbye. I wish he would have. I'm not going to say that. I was about to say something about the football coach, but um, all I'll say, and I said this before about, about um, 
Marcus Arroyo. The bottom line is we'll see the proof's going to be in the pudding. What I like is him saying and a lot of the media saying, well, they're going to be better this year. How can they be worse? They lost every game last year, and in the Wyoming game, the second play from scrimmage, I told Spencer live on this show that both of his parents could have driven their own semi through the hole that Wyoming opened up against UNLV's defense the second play from scrimmage and ran for like a 45-yard touchdown, and the game did nothing but get worse from that point on. Are they going to be better? They have to be. But my God in heaven, how you can't recruit at UNLV now with the Fertitta Center, thanks to uh, Tony Sanchez, great, great community guy, just needed to be a coordinator before he came, became, became a head coach. A quality guy, stand-up guy, loved Tony, just don't think he was the guy for the job. But uh, the bottom line is I'm starting to think uh, that uh, uh, um, Marcus Arroyo isn't either. And again, one other thing. As a head football coach, I don't care what. You never block members from the media from your Twitter account or something like that. You're acknowledging that you pay attention. We know you do, but you don't acknowledge that. That's immaturity. And uh, wow, let's see what he does this year. And I can say all this because he won't come on my show. He won't come on any show because they've got some kind of secret th going on at UNLV. What that secret is, I don't know. Matter of fact, I don't know that I want to know because it probably doesn't smell very good. I'm going to leave it at that. Let's uh, hit fact this, Spencer, before we run out of time. Facts this. If you don't like the facts, take your ass back to bed. Fact this. Yeah, it's a fact. This is the year of the no-hitter, and it continued in Major League Baseball. And the one that ha and the one that happened on Saturday, the no-hitter, was the most unlikely of all. This no-hitter, the eighth one in 2021, was thrown by 27-year-old. Tyler Gilbert, Gilbert of the Arizona Diamondbacks in his first ever major league start. Uh, guys, that is pretty damn impressive. He, he, he had three appearances this year. I mean, you know, it, it, it's pretty amazing when you think of, uh, you know, think of this guy. You know, he was drafted, uh, you know, uh, what, back in 2015 by the Phillies. And then he was claimed by Arizona from the Dodgers in the Rule 5 draft last year. He played college baseball at USC. I'd never heard of the guy in my life. He throws a no-hitter, 102 pitches, five strikeouts, three walks. And, um, by the way, all three of his walks uh, were, were – were, um, I can't think of – who's the guy's name that he, that he walked three times? But but it's pretty incredible. Yeah, I think it was Tommy Pham. He gave up all, all three of the walks, came to Tommy Pham. But what an incredible performance by this guy. It's been done four times in Major League history that a person is on their first career start has pitched a shutout. It hasn't happened in 53 years, and that was – Bobo Holloman did it in 1953. The two others, Spencer, I know me and my old statistics, but I had to look this up. The two others, in 1892, you had Bumpus Jones uh, did it, and in 1891, Ted Binghamstein did it. Those are your two, your three guys in Major League Baseball history that pitched a no-hitter in their first ever Major League start that's incredible. No, it's incredible. And that uh, he walked Tommy Pham three times. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, uh, I just double checked there. Look, I mean, uh, I've looked up statistically and like the percentage of games that are no hitters and it's like 0.001%. So the fact that he did it is truly incredible. And uh, 
I was happy in high school to get the ball over the plate when I pitched. Hey, it was his third no hitter in diamond, the third no hitter in Diamondbacks history. Uh, you got to give this guy all kinds of credit. Twenty seven years old, got a got a little interview on Sports Center. I mean, zero to hero. If he never pitched another game in his life, that would make it. You got to love that. And real quickly, I want to leave Major League Baseball with this as we're really short of time. Um, Shohei Otani again. Shohei Otani again uh, hit another one yesterday. Another home run yesterday against the Astros. His league leading 39th of the year and check this out it was the fifth game this season also where he had a, he hit a home run and stole a base in the same game the only other player to do that in the major leagues this year is a a pretty good baseball player you know fernando tatis junior yeah he's also hit five home runs in in five games he's hit a home run and stolen a base uh shohei otati it's funny because i call my grandson as you know babe ruth because i don't want to call him sincere i think that's a lousy name i love him to death but i call him babe ruth shohei otani is the next babe ruth i mean this guy i don't know that it'll be dynamic or all the historicity at the end of his career that's a huge statement considering babe ruth really is Mr. Baseball, because again, you can't go back that far and have a kid under the age of 30 years old tell you any baseball players pre Babe Ruth era, but everyone knows Babe Ruth. I always say he's the most iconic athlete in history of sports. I believe that. And uh, Shohei Otani is doing something, nothing short of miraculous. This guy is incredible. He's also now tied for home runs by a lefty in a season in Angel history, that 39. And that was Reggie Jackson who did that in 1982 at 39 almost for the, and he's still got a lot of games to play and again not a lot of games to play considering the eighth no hitters already been pitched uh they'll probably you know if there's one more that takes major league history what an exciting year in major league baseball and otani a big reason for that a guy who goes on the bump is very successful in the bump and bats in every game i mean it's pretty damn cool and i love that so uh you know we'll leave it right there with that you know I, i'd like to be able to talk about that more one other thing you know if you're following our minor league team obviously the las vegas um aviators have lost three straight to tacoma they have three more games with them on the road then they'll return this thursday to a six game homestand against albuquerque at the las vegas ballpark and i want to congratulate nick allen who is uh, back on the vegas team he was promoted from double a uh, midland and remember he was just on team usa he won a silver medal with team usa so he's one of six olympians that returned to las vegas to play for the sports the other five play for the las vegas aces and we'll talk about that in one second but also um again uh you know which which is pretty pretty incredible um uh, for, for going on. And I want to say one other thing. The A's, by the way, have won, won eight of their last 10 games in the second place, two and a half games behind the Astros. Don't think they're going to be coming to Vegas. I know a lot of us got excited. And the Tampa Bay Rays, I just had to mention, best record in the AL. I'm getting really sick of them. Two back-to-back Stanley Cups, a Super Bowl. They're one of the favorites to win the NFC and the Super Bowl again this year, and they've got Tom Brady. Enough is enough. If they win the World Series, I'm never watching another game that any Tampa Bay team plays in. Thank God they don't have a basketball team there. That's all I've got to say, but it is an incredible accomplishment. Well, well, they did have the Raptors Raptors this, 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 this past, past NBA, NBA season, season, and they, they sucked. sucked so. So. Yeah, the, the uh, pretty, pretty incredible um, with that. The Giants, of course, the best record in baseball. They've also won eight of the last four ten. They're four up on the L.A. Dodgers in the AFC, uh, excuse me, in the in the National League West. Uh, pretty incredible. 75 and 42 record best in baseball overall. As I mentioned, five 
Olympians back in Las Vegas, four of them for the Aces. Pretty cool. Four gold medalists with the Aces. You had two that played on the national team in Chelsea Gray and, of course, Asia Wilson. Then the three-on-three with Kelsey Plum in the last-minute edition of Jackie Young. That is really cool. And, of course, Jisoo Park also played for South Korea. So five Olympians back playing in baseball right now. Listen, we are just about out of time. So um, we're going to say goodbye to you for today. I really appreciate, uh, of course, our, our social media director, Spencer the Wiz Ostrowski, and of course, Chris Magnum, Magnum Chapman back in the Fox Sports Residential Bancorp studio producing the show. Always appreciate you. I'm Brian Feldman. We'll talk more next week. Of course, the Raiders are back on the, or on the road next week for their second preseason game in Los Angeles to play the Rams. I'll bet a lot of Raiders fans make that trip after what they just saw. You get to see fans, although I don't know if they're letting them in in L.A. or not. Um, don't have that information, but also uh, want to thank our producer, Residential Bank Corp. We will be back same time, 8 o'clock next Sunday morning. We'll see you then.